Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On January 14th, Uganda held national elections for president and parliament. The incumbent was the 76-year-old Yaweri Museveni, who has ruled Uganda since 1986. His main challenger was a 38-year-old music star turned politician who goes by the stage name Bobby Wine. In the six days between the election and the time I'm recording this, Yaweri Museveni has declared victory, and his security forces are laying siege to Bobby Wine and his family, having encircled his compound and placing them under de facto house arrest. International observers were largely blocked from Uganda during the election, and the internet was even cut throughout the country on election day. Needless to say, the election results lack a degree of credibility. On the line to help me understand the current situation in Uganda, including the fraught election and its aftermath, is Rosbel Kagumire. She is a writer and editor at the publication African Feminism, and I caught up with her from Kampala, Uganda. We kick off with a brief discussion of the current state of play, She then discusses how the unique biography of Bobby Wine makes him such a compelling figure to challenge the decades-long hold on power of Museveni and the ruling class. We also discuss how international pressure may be required to hold Museveni to democratic norms. So as I mentioned, I am recording this intro and re-recorded this conversation on January 20th, just a few days after the election. Needless to say, this is a rapidly evolving situation, and this conversation, I think, does a good job of providing you the context you need to understand events as they unfold in the coming days and weeks and months. And today's episode is supported in part from a grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to showcase African voices and peace and security issues. To view other episodes in this series, please go to globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right, now here is my conversation with Rosbel Kagumire of African Feminism. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm glad that internet has apparently been restored because you and I are able to speak. When did they turn back the internet on? Um, I think Monday afternoon. And uh, is social media platforms still restricted access? Yes. So we are using VPNs 
yeah, currently. I've been following you on Twitter forever, so it's uh, it's always good to see you back online. So I was I was worried there for a while that we wouldn't be able to do this interview. But what's going on with Bobby Wine right now? Like, what do we know about uh, the the current state of play Wednesday as we're speaking? He's still under house arrest. Uh, he's still he's not yet out of his house. Um, yeah, and uh, he's. I don't know if he's gotten anyone to visit them because most of the people that were supposed to visit were have been blocked since since the the election day. So it's the situation. They are really being held hostage in their own house uh, together with his wife. And surprisingly, they, there's a toddler there who was visiting them. Um, yeah. yeah, I saw he posted it, like uh, he posted on Twitter that he has like his niece or nephew there um, and he's unable to get any like food or supplies and milk because of the house arrest. And even I saw the other day that the U.S. ambassador was turned away by security forces as she tried to visit him. Yes, absolutely. They refused her entrance. And um, later the government put out a statement. I don't remember exact words, labeling her attempt as kind of like subversion or something, mm. which is really a dark kind of move um, for, for people who are illegally detaining somebody in their own house to actually quantify the attempt by the ambassador to visit him as as that it really shows you how um it worries it is worrying how crazy the regime might get you know uh in the past you know such moves were actually a bit respected and i wasn't surprised with the turning her away but also the subsequent statements you wonder who's in charge of now responding to this kind of thing so what's happening in the regime circle What's the ostensible justification given for placing Bobby Wine in his compound under siege? It's just by the book, what, how must have place? This is not the first time. Basically, Jay in 2016 was held for 42 days mm-hmm. after the election that he did not accept. This is the previous opposition leader who last time around ran against Museveni in 2016 you're referring to. Exactly. So he'd been the long-running main rival President Museveni from early 2000 until last. uh, He did did not contest in the the just finished election. But Dr. Kiza Besage is one of the leading opposition um, uh, people against uh, President Museveni. So in the last election, surprisingly, the results are almost the same. There's only like a point separating the results of Bobby Wine and uh, and Besage and and in this in the previous election and in this election and the kind of response to their um to to, to the announcement of Museveni once again as the winner is the, it's the same so it's almost copy and paste you know mm. from <laughs> does that suggest to you that uh, the election was improperly held. Because it was an election held in the dark. So when you switch off entire internet in the country a day before election, uh, you can't provide people with um, results that um, um, are in line with the constitution because the constitution asks for results that are tallied from districts, not from polling stations. 
you have to present to the nation what districts voted like. We still don't have those kinds of results from the electoral commission. So then you wonder what did they use? What method did they use to announce uh, the final vote? Then there's also a curious case of which they have accepted that they never included over 1,000 polling stations in their counting. So definitely very, very wide um, irregularities. And my feeling is that this is on purpose. In 2016, they actually did not allow Kampala and, and the surrounding centers, urban centers to vote. They voted so late that by the time the results were coming in, what they had already declared President uh, President Museveni the winner. So these kind of tactics have been around for a while. Uh, the, the idea is that the hotbed of the opposition would be Kampala and the surrounding urban centers as opposed to Museveni's more rural-based power. Absolutely. So there's um, uh, the, the opposition stronghold uh, being the center in the, of the country where the capital is, mm-hmm. but also urban centers ha- were actually targeted in that because a bit of urban centers are going to be a little more progressive in terms of understanding what the state of the politics in the country is and what is at stake. Um, yeah, so definitely you, you we can trust, we don't know. The, the, the joke is like we have never known election results in the country because we've never had a free and fair election. Who is Bobby Wine? Can you, uh, for people who are unfamiliar with his story, his backstory, can you share a bit about his biography and how he emerged as a sudden and really impressive political force in the country? Um, so, yeah, that's a, a, a complex job, but I'll give it a try. So Bobby Wine, and I'm almost the same age as Bobby Wine. And, you know, I went to school with his wife. Oh, no. He oh, sat wow. in the same class. We were in the same volleyball team and played in the same sports and uh, came to university together. So um, this is around early 2000, uh, 2000s. Uh, he rose around early 2000s, um, around 2002, 2003. Um, rather 2003 to 2006 uh, on the scene and his uh, his kind of um, music was very it, it, it has a kind of Jamaican dance hall um, beats to eat but infused with the story of um, the underdog you know the story of many of us coming from very poor backgrounds you know in the country um, but very much uh, not just poor background, but very focused on the urban. At that time, you know, the population of Uganda wasn't that um, as big as now because we are 40 million and um, and almost uh, um, 78% below the age of 75. So even as a young man, he lived in the uh, informal settlements around Kampala, which have poor housing, poor um, services. So this was, um, even when he mixed uh, a love story here and there, it was embedded in the struggle of the urban poor. And those stories, not just, um, why not just for the urban poor, but also they resonated with the general struggling population. And while the current, 
would say the current young people. He's, um, uh, I don't know in another country if they would call him young or they call me young, but in Uganda, because we've had a stronghold of old men on power, in the dynamics of Uganda, when you speak up, they see you as a young person, which I find very condescending <laughs> because a young person should be like 20 years old. So, and, and, and Bobby Wine started pushing for that change around that age, around tw his 20s, you know? So um, it, it was more, uh, um, he, he got uh, more um, bolder as he grew and also as the, inter, uh, the reality of uh, inequalities in Uganda have uh, enlarged under Museveni, even when he's uh, applauded for economic, um, you know, transform, uh, not transformation, but economic recovery of the country from a war. Of course, a war he participated in and, uh, and then overlooking of, of uh, of, of, of our recovery of an economy, the reality is that the, the inequalities in the country have grown so high across between regions, between urban and rural. Um, we, we see this um, between men and women, we see these inequalities high. So as more people feel like the government is not um, having them at heart or putting them at the center of policy, then his songs became more appealing to more people. Um, um, so, so that's really the story of how he came into the consciousness of Ugandans, not just as a politician, but a very conscious musician. What do you, we know about how he decided to make the transition to enter politics so seemingly abruptly just a few years ago from being a politically conscious musician to be a politician is still like a very big step. Um, how and why did he decide to do so? Of course, he had confrontations often from his music, from his base in the in the play in a in a Kampala suburb called Kamocha, which is a, which is an informal settlement with many poor people, poor communities. He was seen as their representative. So when Yoweri Museveni put um, put um, um, a com uh, a person in charge of the city who was a city executive who was really uh, in implementing Museveni's and poor policies, evicting traders, evicting people. Bobby Wine was the voice of the people. I think that's when he became bold fighting Kampala. You know, even one of his kids is called Kampala, you know. Um, so he was really strong. It became, that's when he, he, they started see, calling him the ghetto president. He was representing the voices of the minorities. So before he, long before he, lay, he jumped into the politics, in the elective politics, he was already, he, he worked his way being the voice of the people. And his songs were banned on radio stations. And they, that gave him, um, that gave him the kind of um, attention countrywide. And people wanted to know why is the song banned? And he was speaking the issues that very few musicians, at the time when musicians were being bought by the president and to pay them to, to play another good tune praising the president, uh, Bobby Wine was kind of uh, producing this hard-hitting music. And music has always been at the heart of resistance in Uganda since colonial times. So definitely he did not arrive here by accident. 
So it seems like forces of history, almost both demographic history of Uganda and in terms of what the age looks like and where people live, plus the fact that a country animated by music as resistance now has this resistance figure who is a popular musician. It all seemed to conspire in his favor. Uh, and he decided to run for president in, in what seemingly from the outside seemed like an audacious thing, a musician running to oust one of the longest serving presidents in, in Africa. Um, what was the government's response to his campaign? We know there was a great deal of violence over the summer in particular, uh, but in general, can, can you just tell listeners what happened after he decided to run and, after, and during his campaigning? Of course, uh, it must be noted that uh, uh, Bobby Wine um, stood for a parliamentary seat before he became came to the presidential seat. He's been in parliament, I think, for three years before he came to, um, to, to contest for the election. Even his election, his parliamentary seat election was very heated. The, the government invested a lot of money to make sure he doesn't win, and he won. So he came to the parliament... And around that time, that's when President Museveni was, you know, um, uh, forced, uh, uh, working with, with his party in parliament, forced, uh, laid the final change of the constitution that gave him a go ahead to run again, because we had a clause in our constitution that said, when you are over 75, you are not going to buy for office. Of course, brought in by a younger Museveni who was so naive and who thought he would actually live up to his own um, expectations. Unfortunately not. So he had to come back around 2017 when when Bobby Wine gets to parliament. This is when the heated moment in the country um, as the president showed that he is probably going to die in power because at this age, if you're changing the constitution, where are you going? What are we headed for? So the country was tense. And from the series of events that happened before he actually came to the presidency, he was arrested with his friends in the northern district of Arua, where he had gone to support one of the friends in a by-election, and they were beaten by the military, detained for many days. Um, his driver was murdered right in his car. He actually escaped uh, being an assassin, assassinated um, in, in that time. I think those events shaped then what were his choices? He was already a, a threat. He was being seen as a threat. And everywhere he went in by-elections, whoever he supported was kind of going through. Somehow there was this wave that people couldn't explain because even the regime, President Seven's regime, tried to paint him as this weed smoking. You know, of course, he as a musician, he has these pictures of himself smoking from the younger days in his 20s. Tried to paint him as a, a delinquent and who cannot lead. But unfortunately, the more they put this out, the more this appealed to young people who probably don't care whoever, who what Bobby Wine smokes even today or yesterday. So um, so you, you have to see that kind of build up to what informed him to actually run for presidency. And we've seen it before, even with um, with uh, Dr. Kiza Besigio, once the regime, once the, the president seven corners you, he identifies you, there's an attempt on your life. What do you go for next? 
if you announce that you're going to, he announced way early that you're going to try to be a president, that kind of then puts him in the spotlight that he's trying to kill his actual rival. So Bobby Wine went for that. And the, and the surroundings of that was already violent coming to this election. That's interesting. So by announcing that he was going to oppose Museveni uh, as president, he potentially held off an assassination attempt on his life. Let's say to made it much more careful on that part mm. of the regime on how they would deal with him as a person because there was an attempt on they killed his driver yeah. and missed him. They had all trumped up charges of treason that he had a, a, had guns or this and that. Um, but I think for him, this was very protective. Yeah. And also it, it was actually um, capitalizing on the newfound wave that, he, that the country had probably last seen in the early 2000s when Dr. Kiza Besiger came to the scene. And then, of course, during the campaign, uh, there was violence and he was attacked. Uh, there are some kind of famous scenes in which his sort of car was attacked. And uh, even like recently during a like a Zoom press conference with a bunch of international press as well, he just, you know, soldiers started harassing him. It seemed that the harassment, though, never, never ceased. No, 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 because uh, because as long as that kind of the president saw that the can the country was especially in response when he finally changed the constitution. This was his second time. Mm. Ali mid 2000, 2005 there he changed the constitution on uh, on term limits to allow infinite terms for a president. But now when he was going to change the age, it was a final blow to the constitution. The hopes of Ugandans that Museveni would actually try to preside over transition. So that was put out of the minds of the people. So then um, he still controls the army. So he has all sorts of resources at his uh, disposal to pile on to any opponent. So the, the, the violence since that time, since he changed the constitution to run, uh, if you were anyone who was going to run after him, it was obvious that the constitution was being changed for him to run, not anyone else. Then it was also wise for Bobby Wine to really also announce his uh, presidential um, aspirations. We are speaking on Wednesday, January 20th. Bobby Wine is currently under house arrest. We don't know how this situation will will play out. Um, I'm curious to learn from you, what, what do you think will happen next? And what will you be looking for that will suggest to you how this standoff uh, will, will resolve and how the political situation will resolve itself over the coming weeks and months? To be honest, the country has been pushed on the wall, so very uncertain. We are we are in a very very uncertain um, time because you have a president who's not willing to relinquish power, who's using the military. Uh, there are many things that could happen. He can he can still say, "I'm going to salvage my uh, remaining," uh, you know. Um, a little image and try to preside over a transition, give people a hope because the reality is that even many who would have voted him, even in this skewed resource they are giving us, even if it were true that the people voted him were 58%, majority of them are voting him because they're scared of the consequences. A day before the election, we had, you know, military helicopters flying all over the city 
very low, like threatening people. We had tankers staged in the middle of the capital of the city. You'd think we are at war. So these kinds of um, military show of might against his own people uh, pushes, because people are traumatized by past events of regimes and war, they said, okay, let's give him the last time he would, you know, whatever happens, maybe we hope he doesn't come back. But he could use that and turn around and hand over power and be there and make sure that we have the first peaceful transfer of power since we got independence in 1962. So many things would happen, I don't know. But for him to do that, there has to be a very big shift in how the West and international uh, players are playing um, uh, the role they are playing in upholding Museven's dictatorship. Um, are they going to be tougher with him? What conditions are they going to set? And what kind of response then would that enlist from the president? Uh, the other thing well, would wait, be... Can I ask, just as, as a, a Westerner, and I know most of my audience are policy people in the West, like what would specific actions by the West look like? Um, are you talking about, say, withholding of bilateral aid to Uganda from, say, the European Union or the United States? What what are you suggesting might might be um, impactful? It could be a mixture of many things because Museveni gets his military support from the West mostly. America is one of our top most. Um, we are one of America's top most uh, military aid in the continent. So that this kind of upholding a dictatorship, all these weapons that are used on our streets are not by our tax money. They are by Westerners who fund us. And Museven has maintained military bases. And on behalf of the West, too, in Somalia, he's, we have military in, uh, in, in Equatorial Guinea, where he's uh, protecting the oil um, uh, and wealth resources uh, with uh, Theodore Obiang, who is also another long-running African president. He has he represents military interests of the West and other international players. So how are they going to backtrack that, allow a country to ease, to breathe, so that we can figure out a better path to a new generation of leaders? Because this, whether they want it or not, is coming to an end. It doesn't matter how much he possesses, at his, you know, we don't know, we don't even agree on his age, <laughs> uh, at the late 70s, um, that is his official age, um, what what more can they have after five years, you know, like as we have seen with countries like Zimbabwe and others, this can only descend into um, chaos, uh, chaos and uh, lawlessness. And he cannot continue to keep the military guarding the city for him and people not being free, that in itself is going to have an impact on um, on how people, the economics works and how people feel that they can actually still work in this country and live in this country. So there are many things they could do, but I'm, I'm flagging the military base, the mm. military, him being their military go-to guy if they want an intervention in which country, Rwanda, Congo, that has unfortunately happened at the expense of our, democ- our, our fight for democracy. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on how all these international actors respond to a blatant violation, uh, which is not new, but really um, um, we, we still have thousands of young people in jail for, for simply supporting opposition. So this mass incarceration of young men and young women, killing of young people, um, we, we, lo- we saw over 50 people murdered 
in Kampala a month, a month and a half before the election. Mm-hmm. You know, we had never seen that level of violence in, a, in the capital since the, the 80s, I think, you know. So these are all indications of like, we're going to a dark road. We are already in the middle of a dark, you know. Um, so many players have a role to play and, and their role will also affect how the confidence the regime feels in violating our rights. Young people are determined to fight on. So this is whether you have the guns or, or not, the minds of the people have shifted away from him. And he just needs to um, to realize that, that people are tired and they need something. They, they need to feel like they can choose their next leader. And whether it's Bobby Wine or any other person, um, it, 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 it has been recognized that young people are fighting and they're determined. And you can't take this kind of determination away even when you lay down, I don't know how many, you, you put how much weaponry in front of, of young people. They are continuing to say, this is my home. And before I was born, you were here. And I'm old enough to demand for what I think, how I need to be governed. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Rosabelle. This was very helpful. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rose Bell. That was a very helpful uh, conversation. And I said, I think this does give really good context for understanding events as they unfold. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I've been following Rose Bell on Twitter for years. And I'll post a link to her Twitter page in the show notes of this episode. And one disclaimer that the opinions that have been expressed in this episode belong solely to those who expressed the opinions. It's always such an awkward formulation. Anyway, see you next time. Thanks. Bye.